Well, getting into the message today, especially since I have 15 minutes less than normal, I'm going to prove Ken wrong. He didn't think I could preach shorter because we've gone over time before. We'll see. You got your, you got your stopwatches ready, right? <clears throat> well, I saw something humorous. when I, Today, we've, you know, last week, uh, the Lord changed gears of the sermon. I was trying to wrap up our series talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We, we spent uh, several uh, Sundays on tongues because that is the most controversial of all the gifts. Uh, among denominations who believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that is one that is most controversial. And so we, we put it on trial. In, in essence, I was trying to create the scene of we were, you were the jury and I was the uh, defense attorney. But I also had to play the prosecuting attorney as well. And so hopefully we'll lay that, lay that to rest that you know from Scripture, we know that it is still for today. It is still vital for the New Testament church. It is, it is part of the lifeblood of the New Testament church, a growing, vibrant church. But looking into today's message on interpretation, I came across a, a little book report that a boy wrote on the entire Bible. It didn't give his age, but I'm assuming he's fairly young by this report, or he just hasn't been taught very much. But here's what he wrote. It's the children's Bible in a nutshell. In the beginning which occurred near the start. There was nothing but God, darkness, and some gas. The Bible says, The Lord thy God is one, but I think he must be a lot older than that. <laughs> anyway, God said, Give me a light, and someone did. Then God made the world. He split the Adam and made Eve. Adam and Eve were naked, but they weren't embarrassed because mirrors hadn't been invented yet. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating one bad apple, so they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Not sure what they were driven in, though, because they didn't have cars then. Adam and Eve had a son, Cain, who hated his brother as long as he was able. Pretty soon, all the early people died off, except for Methuselah, who lived to be like a million years or something. One of the next important people was Noah, who was a good guy, but one of his kids was kind of a ham. Noah built a large boat and put his family and some animals on it. He asked some other people to join him, but they said they would have to take a rain check. After Noah came Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was more famous than his brother Esau because Esau sold Jacob his birthmark in exchange for some pot roast. <laughs> Jacob had a son named Joseph who wore a flashy coat. Another important Bible guy is Moses, whose real name was Charlton Heston. Moses led the Israelites, L-I-G-H-T-S, out of Egypt and away from the evil Pharaoh after God sent ten plagues on Pharaoh's people. These plagues included frogs, mice, lice, bowels, and no cable. God fed the Israelites every day with manicotti. Then he gave his top ten commandments. These include don't lie, cheat, smoke, dance, or cover up your neighbor's stuff. I think that's covet your neighbor's stuff. Oh, yeah, I just thought of one more. Humor thy father and mother. One, one of Moses' best helpers was Joshua, who was the first Bible guy to use spies. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the fence fell, over the, fell over the, on the town. After Joshua came David. He got to be king by killing a giant with a slingshot. He had a son named Solomon who had about 300 wives and 500 porcupines. 
My teacher says he was wise, but that doesn't sound very wise to me. After Solomon, there were a bunch of major league prophets. One of those was Jonah, who was swallowed by a big whale and then barfed up on the shore. There are also some minor league prophets, but I guess we won't have to worry about them. After the Old Testament came the New Testament. Jesus is the star of the New Testament. He was born in Bethlehem in a barn. And I wish I'd been in a barn too, because my mom is always saying to me, close the door, where were you born, a barn? It'd be really nice to say, as a matter of fact, I was. During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners like Pharisees and the Republicans. <laughs> Jesus also had 12... Oh, yeah, Jesus also had 12 opossums. The worst was Judas Asparagus. And Judas was so evil they named a terrible vegetable after him. Jesus was a great man. He healed many leopards. But the, but the Republicans and all those guys put Jesus on trial before Pontius the Pilate. Pilate didn't stick up for Jesus. He just washed his hands instead. Anyway, Jesus died for our sins. Then he came back to life again. He went up to heaven but we'll be back at the end of the aluminum. His return is foretold in the book of Revolution. Interpretation is everything, isn't it? I imagine this little boy, I, I detect that some of this was not sincere. It was honoriness. So I think he's probably old enough to know to play on words a little bit. Um, but it's really interpretation is everything in most instances. Almost all of communication we share with others is interpretation because of the things that go on in our mind we don't always express things in a way that doesn't require interpretation when you run across someone who can speak to almost anyone and there's no interpretation needed you have found an excellent communicator or were they because jesus mentioned what he said people were always trying to interpret many of us confuse interpretation with uh, with translation, yet they're entirely different. And I can tell you as someone who has been married going on 11 years, almost all of your married communication requires interpretation. It does. Much different than translation, because men, when we begin to translate what we said, when they don't understand the first time, it becomes an argument. Because it comes across wrong. It's better to uh, let them interpret than to try to translate what you said because they just see it as you restating it a second time, only different. We have spent some time on spiritual gifts, of speaking in tongues. Before last week, we distinguished between the operation of tongues and interpretation and the baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit, where speaking in tongues is initial physical evidence. So, so we can just wrap that up to say that, that in that, that miracle of someone receiving the, the ability to speak in other tongues, that there are really two purposes for it. At the baptism is given for, for non-believers, and believers like to realize that the Holy Spirit has now empowered that person, and they have that gift. And then it becomes, in their prayer language, uh, if they are praying in private, then there's no need for interpretation because the body of Christ is not there. However, when it's done in the service, we are given in Scripture an order of how that's to happen so it doesn't bring confusion. It's meant to benefit the church. And if it's done without interpretation, there's not a benefit. And if it's done where everybody's speaking tongues and nobody's taking turns or there's no order and it brings chaos to service, then it's not what the Holy Spirit intended. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't bringing a message to someone, but, but sometimes I wonder if maybe four or five people may be given a message in tongues and begin to speak so that they can learn 
that order, to be able to hold, hold back. We determine that when tongues is used in the corporate setting, spoken before the congregation, there should be interpretation, and that's where we pick up today with interpretation. While these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit and cannot be uh, authentically produced or reproduced by a recipient under their own power, it is under the management of the speaker. One thing that goes awry in Pentecostal and charismatic circles is when they go as far as to, to pretend or give off that the person is out of control of what they're doing. Now, granted, I cannot produce that language myself that I was given a heavenly language, but I can stop it at any time. It is subject to the one given, been given the gift. I can stop. I can refuse to do it, which I don't recommend doing because I've been through that here at New Song where I'm just like, you know, it's not happening with others. The Lord, is it really the right time? And, and that whole conversation you have in your head. But, but it is subject to the person given. And a lot of times the fear that people have of that is they've been in a service or they've been around it somewhere where people give off that they were out of control of themselves. And that can be scary for the person who has not experienced that. I mean, thoughts of possession may come to their mind and, and those type of things. But, but we realize it's, it's not for show. There is a purpose. It's not produced. It's given. But you still manage it. You are a steward of that gift when it is given. The gift of interpretation of tongues, 1 Corinthians 12.10. If you want to turn with me, 1 Corinthians 12.10. If you're still learning the books after you get through Matt, the big ones, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, just kind of slow down and start thumbing. You'll, you'll get the First Corinthians. Verse 12. I'm sorry. Chapter 12. Apologize. Chapter 12, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Ta this is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. What is this gift directly tied to interpretation? Because interpretation is a gift. What is it tied to? Tongues. We don't see it tied to anything else. That, that means that sometimes when we're trying to interpret, when someone has a discerning of spirits or prophecy or anything else, when we're trying to interpret that, then that might just be called skepticism or, or that you're, you're trying to figure out something that can't be fully figured out. But... The definition is this is the ability given by the Holy Ghost to understand or to make known the meaning of an utterance given through the gift of tongues. Hang with me here. I'm going to go through a little bit of, I don't want to treat the scripture or anything and say it's semantics, but, but first of all, we're just setting the basis here for understanding this gift. And then I want to get into fully how this really works and how it benefits us in the church. It's the ability given by the Holy Spirit to understand and make known the meaning of the utterance given through the gift of tongues. The gift may be given to the one who speaks in tongues uh, or to someone else. And the interpretation is not an operation of the mind of the interpreter, but the mind of the Spirit of God. I just want you to grasp this for a minute. Anyone who's, who has any doubt in their mind about this for a minute, just, just humor me, if you will, and think about it has an opportunity. If you, don't, if you doubt this, let's just say that it is possible for the mind of God to not, not possess you to where you're out of control, but to literally download and you to be able to speak through your mouth his actual words to others. Isn't that an incredible thought? 
We look around and we see God here. We know he's here if we believe his word, but is he here? No. You, you go into the workplace and you wish God could just come down and all those people who are atheists or whoever is, is making it hard for you to live your Christian walk. Wouldn't you love Jesus just to show up and say, you're wrong. Wouldn't it be nice for him just to appear? You're wrong. Well, Pastor CJ, how is, how is this gift going to help me accomplish the same thing? Well, then if we went back to the book of Acts, we'd understand for the unbelievers, they recognize there's something incredibly miraculous about these people. Now, in that instance, they were able to hear their known languages, right? And that, that they heard them speaking in their tongues. It is for the unbeliever to recognize that God is doing something to you. And you have the, the ability through this gift for, for God to bring a real message and then in their language and interpretation for them to understand where God has spoken directly to them and used you to do it. If you look up Wikipedia, this is, I don't like that term. It makes me think of Wicca or something like that. But, but this has become kind of the online encyclopedia. A lot of people use this and they do their research. And I'm interested sometimes to find out on doctrinal issues what Wikipedia says. Because it's not like this is coming from the Assemblies of God or the Baptists or anything like this. This is, this is people who are doing this for a business online and they seek the resources. But I always uh, anticipate them to throw their slant on it. But here's, here's their definition. In Christian theology, interpretation of tongues is one of the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. This gift is used in conjunction with that of the gift of tongues, the supernatural ability to speak in a language unknown to the speaker. The gift of interpretation is a supernatural enablement to express in an intelligible language an utterance spoken in an unknown tongue. This is not learned but imparted by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it should not be confused with the acquired skill of language interpretation. While cessationalist Christians believe this miraculous, uh, this miraculous thing has ceased, Pentecostal and charismatic Christians believe this gift continues to operate within the church. And then they give a biblical description. It says, much of what is known about this gift was recorded by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. In this passage, guidelines for the proper use of the gift of tongues were given. In order for the gift of tongues to be beneficial for the edification of the church, such supernatural utterances were to be interpreted into the language of the gathered Christians. If no one among the gathered Christians possessed the gift of interpretation, then the gift of tongues was not to be publicly exercised. Those possessing the gift of tongues were encouraged to pray for the ability to interpret. So this morning, as a, as a message in tongues was given, immediately, because I, I grew up around uh, the teaching of this, I knew that I need to begin to pray for an interpretation. Now, I'm generally praying for someone else's because I, I understand that is is a little easier for some to, to say, wow, if, if they know, my friend over here just got an interpretation for that tongue. But nonetheless, what's important is that there's an interpretation. So whoever's given that gift is to speak it out. Now, what's the difference between translation and interpretation? First, we have to answer what is translation. We've already looked at some examples of interpretation, but what is translation? Webster's definition is a rendering from one language into another. And what, it, what does this rendering process contain? Well, translation is the taking 
uh, taking the meaning of a text in one language and producing it in another language. You're literally taking word for word, this word means this, and this word means this, and then you take sentence structure and punctuation from that language, match it. You're trying to, in order, put exactly what was said there, but it's translating those words into another language. It includes context, the, the rules of grammar of the two languages, their writing uh, conventions, their idioms, and the like. And an idiom is a language um, peculiar to a certain people. So a people group. I spent some time in Honduras, and they spoke Spanish there. Now, you go up into Guatemala, and they use some different terminology in Guatemala for saying the same thing, but it was still Spanish. You go into Mexico and the same thing. I'll never forget being in Mexico and, and, well, first hearing some Spanish words and then trying it out in Honduras. And I learned that in Mexico or in some places or in Honduras, a balloon is called bomba. And so when we were doing balloon animals, I was asking kids, would you like a bomba? And then when I was in the Navy, I was told, when you, if you go down in Mexico, you probably don't want to be saying that. I had a friend say, you probably don't want to be saying that because they use that for bomb. Would you like a bomb? <laughs> would you like me to give you a bomb? No, I would, <laughs> I would not like you to give me a bomb. But it takes into consideration even the people group because they use it differently. Uh, examples of this in Arkansas, y'all, and everywhere else is you guys. We say y'all in some areas of the country, like, what are you talking about, y'all? It's not word, translations are not word for word because in the English language we have three words which sound the same as one word but have three different meanings. Such as, you know, if I spell this, there, T-H-E-R-E. There, T-H-E-I-R. There, T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. Each one having different meanings sounding the same. No wonder our language is difficult for other people who, who try to learn it. So translation is taking one language and producing it in another language. Well, what is interpretation? What is the real definition of interpretation? Isn't it taking one language and producing it in another? I mean, we call people who do that interpreters, right? If United Nations, they've got a lot of people with little ear, earphones in, and they've got someone who is interpreting in their language, right? Well, we use it that way, but interpret... It's to explain or tell the meaning of. If you've ever tried to interpret, I've talked to a few people who interpret, um, a missionary I went to with Honduras, they say the difficulty of interpreting is at first you want to default to trying to interpret word for word. But that's really translate. An interpreter learns the art of as long as I don't change the meaning of what's being said and get the point across, then it's just a matter of hearing what they're saying and then telling the other person sometimes in their own words. Because sometimes that person's speaking so quickly that they don't have time to give a literal translation because that can get messy with sentence structure and like in Spanish things are done backwards to ours and there's a lot of moving parts to that. So interpretation is different than translation. It's not the same as interpretation. Translation is because interpretation deals with a person knowing both languages and taking the one and producing the other. The gift of interpretation of tongues is not knowing the language being spoken. In fact, you're, you're having to hear the voice of 
of the Holy Spirit of God speaking the meaning to you when you had no idea what that message in tongues said. Now, in doing research for this, I'll Google. Google is actually a good friend to the pastors these days, you know, um, because you can put in a topic and you can get a whole bunch of different resources from YouTube to, to, I mean, what people are saying on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. You can get a bunch of stuff. But it really saddened my heart becoming, I came across a, a preacher's video who doesn't believe that tongues is for today and believes that everyone who is doing that is faking it and, and had a very mocking uh, message about it. And he was trying to repeat about his experience to his congregation about being in a service where someone next to him, and he was trying to say, and all they were saying is blah, 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 and he was making up sounds. Which what he did, I'd, every time I've heard it for real, it didn't sound anything like what he did. Of course, he was mocking. But you see, what he doesn't understand is about trans, translation versus interpretation is that it's not going to be word for word. He's hoping to hear in that, that sounds like a language to me, and I should be able to understand that. I should be able to, to put that with, it, with what I speak, and it should seem like something has a connection there. But you can't do that with the gifts of God, because who knows what language God speaks? Now, some of you are shocked, because you just, I just crushed you. You thought he spoke English. Because you think through your prayers, and when you hear the still, still small voice, it's in English. What if that's just an interpretation? Have you ever thought about that? Because those poor people in Africa aren't getting any messages from God if he only speaks English, is he? Or is the Holy Spirit interpreting for them? Who knows what God, how God speaks? Who knows what, what that language is? Or, or is, is the language before the Tower of Babel what God speaks? Have you thought about that? He confused the languages. Did Adam and Eve speak the same language that God does? Some of us that might say, well, I just figure he speaks with his mind. Here, maybe, I don't know. But I know that he has spoke audibly, audibly to man, and it's always been in the language of that man until the baptism of the Holy Spirit came and speaking in tongues. And that changed things. The gift of tongues is not supposed to contain the same number of words as the interpretation. I have also heard of people who will count, try to count the words in a, who are trying to disprove tongues and interpretation, and they will try to count and try to say, well, there's no way because it didn't match up. Again, we're, we're trying to take something eternal and try to put it in our temporal, uh, temporal setting. It's through the Holy Spirit being able to give the meaning of what has been spoken in tongues. If you want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed as his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters and the, and the Chaldeans and, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. 
Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. And I'm skipping down to verse 24 now. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. And this is what the writing, this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, Takel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you may have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. 28, Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. I want you to note here that Daniel's interpretation of the heavenly language written on the wall consisted of many times the number of words on the wall. It was not a word for word. There was not any relation to, to the number of words. So don't fall out on a message in tongues. Don't, uh, don't begin to doubt just because to you in your own thinking it doesn't seem to match up because it's not. We see from Scripture that when God speaks it's not going to be something similar to our language all the time. Also understand that the Holy Ghost is using man and man is, is capable of error. There's been times I've wondered, a message in tongues, whether the interpreter really, it was really the, what God had given from that message. Or someone kind of got in himself. I heard the story of a small country church where there was a message in tongues and an interpretation. Uh, there was an older lady there who had become frustrated with the uh, youth and some of their behavior. And the interpretation was, thou shalt not go to the honky-tonk and wear that short dress like you were Friday night, thus saith God. <laughs> I just wonder if maybe she shaped that message just a little. Just a little because she happened to be driving by the honky-tonk on Friday night and saw someone that was uh, in the church. We, we have to be careful, you know, and all that, that may be funny to some, but then it makes me wonder is if there's truly a message in tongues, God was trying to speak to his people, that church, for, for a good reason. And maybe the person who had the right message just thought after that, how am I going to come in after that? One more thing, it may be given in first, second, or third person. That's another thing we need to understand. It's not always first person. For instance, one person may bring the interpretation like this. Behold, I am coming soon. Be ye ready. The next one may say, the Lord says he is coming soon, and he says for you to be ready. Still another may bring the same message, in other words, as the Lord is coming very soon. Be ye ready. See, you've got to understand that this is, this is a spiritual gift. It is coming from God. But we all still have the ability, because we are managers of it, for us to, if we're not careful, influence it. And in some of these cases, it's not a big deal. It's a matter of interpretation, like I said before. An interpreter sometimes hears as long as what is said and the meaning of and the weight of that is not changed, it may come out in a different way. It may come out in, a, in first person, second person, third person. The point is, is it going to cause the church to go in a different direction, the direction God's wanting them to go? Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, may, I, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Uh, Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for our words. That explains to me why, like in this morning's service, where I'm, I'm feeling heavy laden, not in a bad way, but I just feel the pressure of the Spirit begin to, to help me uh, get closer to God. And in a moment of release, that gift is given. In a moment of when I finally just feel like, God, I've, got, I've had so much in my mind this week, I just want more of you. I'm, I'm singing these words and meaning them. And I believe that when you really worship in spirit and truth and you really say those words on the screen, but you mean them with the passion from your heart towards God, that he answers. And he says, okay, no place you'd rather be? No place you'd rather be. Is that what you're saying to me? This is what God's saying to you. Are you, you really mean in your heart, Kevin? You mean there's no place you'd rather be? But here in my presence, in my arms, and I almost see God saying, oh, my child, You've touched my heart. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to do something today for you to let you know that I have not left you. I'm not forsaking you. In fact, I'm empowering you for my work because I value you in my kingdom and you're going to make a difference. And so I'm going to give you the gift of tongues so that you know. And no matter whether the believer or unbeliever truly believe at the end, that's their choice to believe whether that's really God, you leave knowing God has showed up in my life today. And then immediately, you know what else it did to me? Like a movie screen. How many times this week were you at home? iPad, iPhone. Some of you may wonder why when I first became pastor, I answered your calls immediately or I answered your texts immediately or whatever, and, and now you seem to see a delay. It's because God started dealing with me. Your family, you can't do this and let your family slip. You can't do this and ignore your family. I've given you your wife and your kids for you to lead them. Even before you leave that church, lead that church, that's your priority. And so you understand that not only did he edify the body, he gave you a word, something to go with today, something uh, that was interpreted for you to take and it to change your life. Your pastor received some conviction from the Holy Spirit about how he needs to change some things so that he continues to lead his family the way God wants me to and I lead this church the way God wants me to. And that's why I'm transparent with you and I share my weaknesses. I had a... a, a Senior VP at Walmart one time told me, he said, never show your backside to your people. Never show your, your backside, which means don't show your weaknesses because they'll take advantage of that or that gives them the wrong, they may, they may focus too much on that and they lose their, um, well, I'll tell you from her personal, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say him or her, but from the personal life, there was things in her life I knew they were not living for God and I, and I could take that where the grain of salt because where their leadership training was coming from was not the same as where mine was coming from you need to know that we're all in this together your pastor and everybody we're in this together and that this gift this gift of tongues and interpretation am i telling you that if this begins to happen every time in service that it's just going to be the miracle drug for our church and we're just going it's going to boom and everything well i know in the new testament that because of signs and wonders people were added to their numbers daily Okay, so I believe there will be growth, yes. But it is not a miracle cure because people still have the choice whether to let that impact them or not. The same two people could give a message in tongues and there could be interpretation every Sunday. But if you don't take that message from the Lord and let it impact your life and change you, then at least those that don't let that happen, there's not going to be a change. We have free will. These things do not uh, usurp free will. These gifts do not usurp free will. 
Again, Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. A great privilege that Christians are entitled to is the help of the Spirit in prayer. There are times I just really don't know how to pray for a situation. Someone says, pray for me because X, Y, Z. But I'm not so sure that X, Y, Z is really the best for them. And I'm trying to figure out how do I really pray, God, because I want to be honest with you. And I, I'm not just going to send a frivolous prayer. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit steps in, even interceding for others where I know the Spirit's praying through me. And, and, and that's important. Our weakness in prayer, we, we sometimes don't know what we should pray for, and that's where the Holy Spirit can step in. Ecclesiastes 6.12, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his life, lives the few days of his life, uh, his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will, what will, um, I'm sorry, I had it, uh, screen's doing something here. Who will, for who can tell man, somebody read for me, Ecclesiastes 6.12. This is technology, devil's trying to get into my thing, I've got a word that's crunched on my screen. Thank you, Ken. We are short-sighted and very much biased in favor of the flesh. We also recognize this Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Now, as I study his word, I, I can put a lot of things in here, but think about Jesus knowing he was going to the cross to die for the sins of man and that that throne that he's going to sit on is only reserved, is only there for the one who could pay that kind of price. And here's this mother not knowing. She's, she doesn't know what she's asking for. Can one sit at your right and one at your left? She is asking for them to have Godship. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. The same is true in prayer. We don't know how to pray as we should. I mean, it's hard enough to put the flesh into subjection and to pray, let alone to know what you pray for. The apostle speaks of this in the first person, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And he puts himself among the rest. Weakness and distraction in prayer. I mean, there's all kinds of things that come into our prayer time. So we need the spirit to help us pray. To pray for our infirmities, for fatigue, for distractions, those temptations, those things that distract us from prayer. Sometimes lack of faith. And the Spirit helps us put forth the strength that we need to pray in accordance with God's will for us. However, we're not supposed to just sit still and let the Spirit do it all. It's only that when we're pressing in and we're really praying fervently and, and wanting God to, to have a conversation with God that sometimes the Spirit steps in and intercedes for us. 1 Samuel 1, 12-15 as she continued praying for the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and, and the voice is not heard. And if you read on in this, he begins to believe that she's drunk, and she says, no, it's just that she has been pressing so hard with the Lord that even as she begins to pray, the, the words are not coming out. I've asked Kevin if he can come up here and help me with a short illustration here as we begin to 
wrap up. Now, I am not any, I have never been fluent in Spanish, and uh, I only know enough to probably get me in trouble, but while I was in Honduras, a missionary there worked with me to be able to speak. And I'm just going to share something with you all this morning, and I'm, I'm going to guarantee you right now that it's true and factual, okay? Yo fui a Honduras, Centroamérica, about tres meses, y aprender español, y yo a la iglesia de español en los Estados Unidos, And why do you say that, Kevin? How do you know that? Well, tell me what part of what I said was not true. <laughs> tell me the words I said that were not true. <laughs> okay, thanks, Kevin. Thanks. I'm going to wrap up with this thing that I want you to understand that is one of the most important parts of speaking tongues in that prayer language. You know, the word says Satan does not understand it. Now, Kevin could try all day to convince you that what I said is not true, but if he can't understand the words I said, how can he truly attack it? See, Satan is the, the artist with half lies, half, half truths, I'm sorry, half truths. We see it in the garden. You will not surely die. He was taking half truth, which is no truth at all, but, but that's Satan's art of being able to take those half truths and destroy it. And when he, even when we're praying in English, when we're praying in our language, how many times have you been praying and like, I'm really hungry? Or, or, man, I'm so tired. Maybe I'll just pick this up later. You know? And sometimes we can't press through because of our weaknesses. But you see, many times that's the enemy trying to, to get in there and distract and disrupt. And then there's times he starts to make us doubt what we're praying for. Oh, you don't really mean that. You, you're telling God that you want to give up this. So you get closer to him, but you know you won't. But when you press in and the Holy Spirit takes over and you begin to pray in the heavenly language, when I get up, I know that there has been something in my spirit that has been solidified, that has been strengthened, that has been encouraged. And I know that I have communed with God. And whatever was said, I know that God has done something in me through that. And there's times I speak in English and that happens, but there's also times when I get up feeling like, did I really reach God in that moment? I want us to begin praying that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. If you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray with you this morning. In between services, it doesn't matter that we've gone to two services. That does not trump what God is trying to do in our lives. you understand? And so I won't move from this place this morning if there's anyone who wants to press in and, and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who are filled with the Spirit, I, I challenge you, begin to use that gift. Let... when. It's a matter of release and saying, Lord, I, I want to be filled daily. I want to, I want to have that heavenly language in my life. And then, and then pray, God, use me. Uh, if that's my gifting, then use me in the services. Use me at times when I can help those unbelievers or even believers be strengthened and encouraged. Speak through me. Let me be your mouthpiece, God. This is where the rubber meets the road. How much are you willing to let God use you? Everything else you can explain away so easily to people. Well, I'm telling people about God because if you look truly what we believe, it's going to be better for your life. I mean, no smoking, no drinking, no all this stuff. You know, that's going to be better for your life. But if they hear you in a service speaking tongues interpretation, it's not going to be that easy an explanation. You've got to get more in depth about the character and nature of God and how he operates. You've got to know your stuff a little more, don't you? 
Because they're, gonna, they're not going to say, okay, this makes my life better. How? Well, you can tell them, did you hear the interpretation? Because God told you how to make your life better. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this time together this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word and the power of it in our lives. And God, I pray that there be not one person leave here the same. But God, we'd all be not only uh, graspers of change, Lord, uh, hunger for change in our lives, Lord, when it comes to your spirit moving, but then, then, Lord, be agents of change in this world. That's what it's about, Lord. You didn't come to leave everybody the same. You didn't come for us to, to be satisfied where we're at, but, but, Lord, contentment is different than satisfied. We understand that, Lord, be content that we are a work in progress. Be content that you are continually working to change us, but we're not yet arrived. Being content that this is not yet eternity, but it is coming. Jesus, I pray right now that you'd grasp hold of hearts, Lord, that your spirit would begin to move, that the wind of your spirit would blow through these hearts and the minds of the people. Saturate their lives, Lord, I pray. Hallelujah, Lord. If you want prayer to, to receive that gift, I'm here. Anybody else that feels led to come up and pray with whoever come up, I, I challenge you to. We're not going to have a, a formal dismissal. This is a dismissal for those who feel released to go. I just ask that if you do, that you uh, go out into the foyer before you visit. Don't leave here today. If the Holy Spirit's dealing with you that you need to come forward, don't leave here today until you do that. Man, the rest of you, you'll be dismissed.